0: The word of God this for us this morning is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 to 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 to 24. This is the word of the Lord. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him seek not to remove the marks of circumcision. Was there anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him, not, let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commands, commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he, had, he was called. Were you a bondservant when he called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourselves of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a free man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there, let, let him remain with God. Amen. Let us pray and we'll, be, we'll begin. Father, these words are very clear instructions of what you want us, how you want us to live, especially in this time of uncertainty. It is very practical, Father. It is very applicable to where we are. Father, we pray that you will. Come and you will minister in our hearts, in our souls with these words. May you build your kingdom in our hearts through these words. May you give us a proper sense of identity through these words. May you lead us to repentance through these words. May you restore hope in us through these words. Man cannot do it. I certainly cannot do it on my own. It is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that does this kind of work. So we lean on your spirit this morning. All these things in the name of our risen Lord we pray. Amen. Um, so one of the benefits of working remotely, um, I don't know whether it's a benefit of working remotely, but one of the things that I do in the last, one, one of the things that I did in the last couple of days is um, because I'm working remotely, I got a chance to listen to more podcasts, right, and online debates. And so, I was listening to a lot of debates between Christians and atheists, between atheists and atheists. I was just listening to a lot of debate, And what struck me about listening to all these different types of debates by clever men, is that there is a fundamentally, there's a one main difference between the philosophies and the ideologies of Christianity and the philosophies and the ideologies of Non-Christians, whether you're a Buddhist, whether you're a Hindu, whether you are Muslim, whether you are a capitalist, whatever it is, there's a fundamental difference. Difference that Christianity is compared to all these other school of thoughts, and that idea is the idea of original sin. None of these ideas, none of these other type of ideas, believe in the idea of original sin. What the, what what these schools schools of thought tend to believe advocate I think generally speaking, is they believe that human beings are born with an empty slate, with blank slate, right? That people are born, babies are born innocent, right? And what corrupts an individual, it's not our nature, but circumstances, right? The the circumstances in which you were born into. whether whether that be your parents or whether that be your your country or the culture that you're born with, most of these non-Christian thought things, it is the circumstances that determine the outcome of an individual. Christianity says it is the corrupt nature that makes us do corrupt things. Circumstances certainly affects us, but circumstances accentuate. It makes our brokenness bigger. It promotes it. It doesn't cause it. But the world believes circumstances is the reason. And logic shows that if you change the circumstance, then you will change the individual. That's what the world believes, right? What, we are just a change of circumstance away of living our best life, of being happy, being, living a, you know, living a meaningful existence. If you just change the circumstances, then we will get better. And there's certainly a certain truth to this, right? Circumstances do affect, can affect, our, 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 our happiness. For example, right, um, they say if you make, I think, $70,000 a year, if you make less than $70,000 a year, you're gonna, you're gonna call, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna call, that, that, that's, that Lack of resources will cause will cause misery. But if you make over seventy thousand dollars a year, right? After making seventy thousand dollars a year, additional income that you make above that is not going to add to your happiness. So this is saying yes, money can certainly change how you live, right? But Christianity is saying even though circumstances can ch- affect our happiness, it doesn't fundamentally change who we are. However, even Christians don't really buy into this. Christians still, like many Christians, still believe that God just, if just God just changes my circumstance, then I'll be okay. If God just gives me a better job, I'll be okay. If God just gives me a better spouse or changes my spouse, I'll be okay. If God just gives me better church, I'll be okay. A lot of us still hope in changes of circumstances, we hope that circumstantial changes will somehow improve our internal lives. And we think the the reason for our misery is is because of, you know, not good circumstances. We think we're miserable because our jobs stink. We think we're miserable because we married the wrong person. We think we're, we're not spiritually growing because our church is at fault. We point the finger on circumstances, and we hope that if these circumstances change, then our lives will be better. We can live our best life now. How do I know many Christians believe this? The ministry of Joe Austin is built on this. Joe Austin is not a prosperity gospel in a traditional sense, but his ministry is this. Wait for God, and God will change your circumstances for the better. He is always advocating changes in circumstances. God is at work so he'll change your circum- circumstances. Certainly, God changes circumstances. I was reflecting upon my career as a lawyer and I can honestly say before you that I didn't build my career. God built my career. He really did. Like the jobs that I have were given to me. It wasn't that I sought after them. It was given to me. He changes my circumstances. He has changed my circumstances. But what I'm here to tell you, changes of circumstances does not, does not really change who you are on the inside. We can hope that circumstantial changes will improve our lives, improve our internal lives, but the reality is it won't. A few examples, They say the reason why actors go crazy after success, the reason why they live drug-fueled lives after success, it's because they soon discover that when, after they got everything they ever wanted—worldwide fame, money—you know—that ge- can last for generations. When they finally get what they hope was the right circumstance, they discover fast that it doesn't change change who they are as a person. For example, a lot of them are driven to be actors because they were paid attention when they were paid attention to when they were kids. Right? That's what psychology would say and they are insecure, and they want affirmation. But once you made it, that hunger for affirmation doesn't, doesn't go away. After show circumstantial changes doesn't improve the quality of one's internal inner life. And for those of you who have changed multiple jobs will know. Let's say you, you were at a job and you don't like a job, and maybe you moved to another job. And, and when you initially got that job, you hope that that job will be better than the other job, right? And when you start a job, maybe during the honeymoon phase, it appears that new job is better. But you know and I know, once you start working at that new job for a year or two, you'll see, you'll still, you'll become bitter and you'll start complaining about that job. Also, I've been doing ministry for a like long time. How, many, how long? Maybe for almost... 30 years, right? And I mean, between those 25, 30 years, I see a lot of people change churches. But one conclusion, conclusion that I come up with, even people who switch churches because one church doesn't offer the program that they want, when they move churches, changing churches does not make a prayerless person prayerful. Changing churches does not make a person who doesn't don't read their Bible into a person who reads their Bible. Changing churches doesn't make a worldly person holy. We think they would, but they don't. Circumstances, changes can only do so much. Inner transformation comes when the soul is awakened to the power of the gospel. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, he says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Paul says, I know what it, what, what it, what it is to be in need, and I know what it, what it is to have plenty. He said, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Paul is saying, he has learned the secret of contentment in whatever circumstances that he is in. He has been rich, he has been poor, he has been respected, he has been disregarded. Whatever circumstances Paul was in, he says, I have learned to be content because he knows the strength the Lord gives him. The change of inner life, which leads to happiness and meaning and purpose, it comes When the soul recognizes the power of the strength of the gospel. It doesn't happen when your husband becomes a better person. It doesn't happen when when you get a better job. It doesn't happen when you change churches. It doesn't happen. It happens when your soul recognizes the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let us not be the people of the world. Let us not look to changes of circumstances as a solution, as the ultimate solution to who we are. It is the strength of our Lord Jesus Christ. I start the sermon out with this um, truth. Because people in the Corinthian church, when Paul was writing this letter, they wanted changes in their circumstance. So, what is happening? Let's give you a little background on what is happening in the church of Corinth during this time. Number one, first thing we have to remember, Church of Corinth was founded in between either 49 AD or 50 AD. That's really like pretty much 17, 20 years after the death of Jesus and resurrection of Jesus, right? So this is happening like 17 years after Jesus was dead and was resurrected. Which means this is a very new church. Christianity is very new. It's only 17 years old. So, so so they don't know it's because it's so new. Like they, these are literally the first generation of Christians. And all these people were living a pagan life. All these people were living a promiscuous, idolatrous, sinful life. And now through Paul's ministry, they're converted and their eyes are open, they become the people of God. And now, and, and because it's so new, people are confused. So they were living in one circumstance, but God totally changed their inner reality. Right? So they're living life like this, and God changes their inner reality. And once God changes the inner reality, they, they are looking at the circumstance that they're living, in, and they don't know what to do. For example, right, um, people who were converted, husband and wife were converted together, Right? Now they don't know, like, how they should should feel about physical relationships. They've heard Paul talking about the evils of, you know, promiscuity and adultery. And in their minds, they think, oh, maybe physical relations is wrong. And therefore, we should abstain from one another. So one, one group of the church, because they got converted thinking, oh, well, maybe, you know, we should not be married anymore. We should not have a relationship anymore. There's another group of the, in the church where, if you're, when you, like, like, let's say a married couple, one partner becomes converted, one, be, one partner becomes converted, and the other partner remains an unbeliever. So there are certain people in the church thinking, if I'm married to an unbeliever, maybe I should divorce that unbelieving spouse. Right? And maybe, because you know, God doesn't want me to be yoked with an unbeliever, so maybe God, God should say, maybe I should divorce this person. Right? Slaves, when they've been converted, thinking, oh maybe I should run away from my master. Like, there were all these questions that people had about their circumstances. What should they do? And they wanted to leave, they wanted to change their circumstances. Paul's main point in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is do not seek to change your circumstances. Stay where you are. That's the main point of 1 Corinthians 7. Do not strive to change your circumstances. Stay where you are and live as a believer. I know there's a desire to change our circumstances. Wanting better, greener pastures, wanting to go to better places. And maybe there's maybe in, inherently there's nothing wrong with that. Right? There's nothing wrong if you want to change your job, if your job is miserable. It's maybe it, it, that's not a sin. But Paul, Paul's main point is wherever God assigned you now, that's where he wants you to be. And therefore, wherever you are, live as a believer. That's what he's saying. That's the main point. So let, let's study this. Verse 17, right? Paul says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. What is, what is Paul saying in verse 17? Verse 17, the first thing that Paul re- refers to, like mentions in verse 17, is he reminds them that they are Christians. Because they were called by God. That's what verse 17 says, right? Calling here means salvation. Paul is saying the only way that you have been saved is because God has called you. You weren't saved because you were moral. You weren't saved because you were a good person. You were saved because God has called you. And that's that's true. Romans chapter 8 verse 17. 29 and 31 Paul says and those he predestined he also called those he called he also justified those he justified he also glorified Paul in Romans 8 is saying we are Christians because God has predestined us and those whom God has predestined God calls he called us we heard the voice calling of God and that's what we're converted that's called effectual calling. The best example is Abraham. Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, we study this. Before God called him when he was 70 years old, Abraham was a moon worshiper. His father was an idol maker. He had no interest in the things of Yahweh. But God, out of a blue, Genesis chapter 12 says, Abraham! I will, make your father, I, will father, I will make your father many nations. Leave and follow. When Abraham heard that call, he left and followed. That's how Christianity faith works. God calls you. I was called when I was in, I think, like student, sophomore year of college. I went to a retreat. Someone preached on Romans chapter 8. Through that sermon, Like, after listening to that sermon, I I felt my mind being cracked open and the truth of God coming in. That's the call. I am a Christian because, not because my mommy and daddy were Christians or I was raised in the church. I was called. If you are called, it is is because God has called you. God has given you the gospel and the Holy Spirit ministered into you. And that's why the Corinthians became Christians. This is called the effectual call. Those whom God calls, He saves. And this is different from a general call. The general call is God's call for all humanity to worship Him. General call is God using the gospel, God using nature, God using providence to look at Him and to worship Him. God's general call to all men everywhere, it goes on every day. He calls men to stop sinning and turn to Him. That's the general call. But the effectual call, the call that changes our souls, that's the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. The question I ask you this morning is have you received the effectual call? Has the Holy Spirit ministered into your heart? Have your your minds been cracked open? Has your soul been cracked open? Has the light and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ entered into it? Are you living a new reality? Is He changing your affections, your loyalties, your priorities? Have you received the effectual call? Or are you just constantly receiving the general call? is reminding the Corinthians they received the effectual call of God. They received the effectual call in different, when they were in different circumstances. Some received the effectual call when they were slaves. Some received the effectual call when they were Jews. Some received the effectual call when they were Freemen, when they were Greek, when they were Roman citizens. Paul is saying, when you receive the call, you are in a different life. Everyone, all of you were in different life circumstances. And all of you were in different life circumstances because God has assigned it that way. Verse 17, once again, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. Each of us, each, the life that we're living right now, is because God has assigned it that way. I think the biggest struggle for me personally is, I always struggle. Am I doing the right thing being a lawyer and pastor? It doesn't make sense to me. In my mind, I think I have to be devoted to one and say no to the other. I have to be pure. I have to, and it's still a struggle. But what I know is this. Regardless of how I view myself, the life that I have right now is because God assigned it to me. He assigned a law firm to me. He assigned this church to me. The circumstances that you are in, it isn't because of some freak random accident. The circumstances that you are in is because God has assigned it to you. Your wife is your wife because God has assigned it to you. Your husband is your husband because God has assigned it to you. Your job is your job because God has assigned it to you. You don't have a job because God has assigned it to you. You need to understand the sovereignty of God, and the sovereignty of God is He assigns things to you, He assigns places to you, He assigns pla- people to you. So when Paul is writing Corinthians, when they were saved, God was assigning them in different life, different places of life, and Paul is saying wherever that God has assigned you when you were saved. Don't leave. Stay where you are and live as a believer. If God, is assigned, if God has called you to Himself when you were a slave, don't like, be a believer in your slave state. If God has called you to be a Christian when you were married, do not leave your spouse, whether they're Christian or not Christian. Stay with your unbelieving spouse. By the way, Paul is clearly not saying Christians should marry unbelievers. That is not what Paul is saying. He's talking to a group of people who when they were both, when the husband and wife were both unbelievers, one gets converted. He's not saying Christians should seek out a relationship with unchristians. That is clearly a violation of God's law. But Paul is saying, if you are saved, if you are married to an unbelieving spouse, do not leave. Live as a believer. What does it mean to live as a believer? That's the question we've got to ask ourselves, right? Paul says, stay in the place where you were at when God has called you to himself. And in that place, live as a believer. How does a believer live? Like I said in the call of work, like a prayer confession, two things, right? Two things. Distinguishes, like, the thing that Paul says live as a believer is, what what Paul means as a live as a believer is, what verse is that? Keep the commandments of God. Paul Paul said, uh, verse 19, for neither circumcision, counselor, nor anything, nor uncircumcised, but keeping the commandments of God. Paul is saying, what matters is not circumcision or uncircumcision. What matters is you live as a believer by keeping the commandments of God. What is the commandments of God? Loving your Lord with your heart, soul, and mind, and loving your neighbors as yourself. Paul is saying, when you God's will for you is to stay where you are when you were called, when you are a Christian, and love God and love your neighbor. What is the first way that you love God? You worship Him. Commandment number one, I am the Lord your God, you should have no other gods before you. The the most integral part of loving God is worshiping Him. I think all of us, because we're doers, we think the way we love God is to do things for Him. That's not necessarily true. The most important thing, the way you love God, the way you live as a believer, is to worship Him. Worship Him together on Sundays. But more importantly, worship Him with your families. And more importantly than that, worship Him privately. No matter where you are, Paul says, worship God. And love your neighbors. That's God's will. Whatever circumstance that you are in, whatever circumstances God has assigned you. Worship Him, keep His commands, love people. That's His will for you. And Paul gives two examples, right, in the rest of the chapter. He gives two examples to illustrate, to accentuate this point. Point number one. Paul is using an example of circumcision. What is circumcision? For those of you who don't know, circumcision is you know, a physical sign that an Israelite child, right, gets when he's a baby. And and that sign shows that that person is a Jew and that person belongs to God. Jewish people believe that they are the chosen people and a sign of this fact that they're chosen people, circumcision is a sign of that identity. So what is happening in the Corinthian church? Why is Paul... Raising this issue of circumcision. Because, so, one of the first, so, so, in in the Church of Corinth, like so many other early churches, some of the converts were Jews, right? And they were circumcised, because before meeting Christ, they were Jews, and they were circumcised. The parents did the right thing, and they circumcised their baby, and when they grew up, they they met Jesus, and they were converted. And the issue became this. Some people, when they when they when they when they were saved, when they when they're saved in Christ, they wanted to be uncircumcised. And uncircumcised means they want to get, a, get get an operation to correct their circumcision. They they want to get rid of the sign of circumcision. I don't know what that operation entailed, but somehow they wanted to get it get an operation so that that mark of circumcision doesn't exist anymore. Their argument is, oh, I'm a new creation in Christ, I'm no longer a Jew, right? So I don't, I, don't, I don't need this sign anymore, so I want to get a surgery. Other Christians, right, like they felt self-conscious because they were the only ones with, with circumcision. Other people in, in the city of Corinth, most men were not circumcised. So because they wanted to fit in, they wanted to get that operation. They're thinking, oh, I'm a new creation in Christ. I don't want to stick out, right? I don't want to to be different from the other people. So I I want to get this operation. So after meeting Christ, they said, I want to get this operation. I want to change my circumcision. And there were other groups in the Corinthian church, other Jewish Christians in the Corinthian church, because they're proud Jews. Because, you know, they're proud Jews and they met Christ. The problem with these guys is, they want everyone to get circumcised. They said, even Gentiles, when you believe in Christ, you belong to God. Therefore, a sign that you belong to God is circumcision. Therefore, all you Gentiles, all you non-Jew Christians, you need to get circumcised. So there's one group of camp that wanted to undo their circumcision. And there's another group where everyone wants to get circumcised. They're forcing everyone to get circumcised. And that was a huge issue at the church. What do we do about circumcision? Paul says, if if you were uncircumcised when God has called you, don't get circumcised. If you're circumcised when God called you, don't get uncircumcised. If you're uncircumcised when God has called you, don't get circumcised. Stay where you are. For us non Jews, this doesn't seem to make, you know, it's not that controversial. But to the Jewish person, saying that circumcision and uncircumcision means nothing. That's a huge truth. That's an offensive truth that Paul is saying here. Why? Because circumcision is not just a religious symbol, but it is a symbol of national, religious, familial, ethical identity. that's how the Jews know they were marked special, circumcision. So when Paul says circumcision doesn't matter, he's telling the Jew, what you based your identity on, your religious, cultural, familiar identity that you used to base on, that doesn't matter anymore. What matters is keeping God's commands. What matters is is being saved in Jesus Christ. That's what matters. Your identity, that what you used to identify yourself with, your cultural, familial, religious heritage, it doesn't matter anymore because you're defined by something new. When you are a Christian, the principle that we get from this verse is if you're a Christian, all the things that you used to define you, that's not important anymore all the things that used to just, just define who you are as a person. It doesn't matter anymore. Because you belong to Christ. Beckett Cook. Remember that guy? The guy that I read his book this year? He was a former homosexual and he met God in a very dramatic way and his life was turned upside down. And someone asked Beckett Cook, "Aren't you born gay? Right? That's the argument, right? How can you say people say how can you say homosexuality is sin if you're born gay? Aren't you genetically predisposed to your desires?" And Beckett Cook says this. He says, "I don't know." I don't know whether it is, the, it is my circumstances that made me gay or there's something wrong there, there was something in my in the genetics, maybe you know, maybe it's a hormonal thing. Becca Cook says, I don't know. But he says, what does that matter? Whether my genetics were fallen and whether my genetics were, you know, you know, like fallen and made me gay or whatever. That's not me anymore. Whatever the cause is, it doesn't matter because that's not me anymore. He is so when you look when you look at his like thoughts, he's so like blown away by the fact that Jesus Christ can forgive someone like him and love someone like him and and, and, and being in a relationship with someone like him. He's so enamored by God and Christ and the truth of it all. He says it doesn't matter. That's what Paul is saying. It doesn't matter what you think you were. It doesn't matter what you identified with, with, with yourself before meeting Christ. These things that you used to identify yourself, it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter whether you're black, it doesn't matter you matter you're white, it doesn't matter you're Asian, it doesn't matter you're Hispanic, it doesn't matter anymore. Because before ethnicity, race, culture defines you, you are now primarily defined as a child of God, and as a child of God, you keep this command. You worship him and you do right. People get into trouble when they say they're Christians, but still identify themselves in, in, in their old ways. The most chilling example is Hitler. Do you know Hitler thought himself as a Christian? They say in Nazi in the Nazi SSL belt there were scriptures written on it. And, 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 and atheists use like Hitler's purported Christianity as a sign that Christianity is evil. What was Hitler's problem? Before he identified himself as a child of God, as a recipient of Christ's blood, he identified himself as a German, as a nationalist. He used his Christianity to justify his nationalism, but he primarily saw himself as a nationalist, as a German and a Christian second. Which shows that he had no understanding of Christianity, no understanding of the blood of Jesus Christ. If you claim to be a Christian, but still define yourself in your own ways, that's very dangerous. So many wars and atrocities have been committed in the name of God, because people did not primarily define themselves as a, as a redeemed person, people of God. National interest, self-interest came before their Christian identity. Therefore, they use their Christianity to justify their atrocity. You see these things all the time. Christian businessmen be- becoming corrupt. Christian people are racist. Christian people doing this, doing that. And all these people are living their sinful lives. Why? Because they still identify their identity not based on who they are in Christ but who they define themselves based on the fallen standards of themselves and the world. How do you define yourself, people? Do you know that you're redeemed? Is that identity, does that identity supersede all other aspects of your life? Or are you justifying your Christianity to do your own sin? Circumcision, uncircumcision, doesn't matter what family you're from. It doesn't matter whether you're from a prominent family or whether you, your, your parents were, were not prominent. It doesn't matter. Thinking it does makes you foolish and dangerous. We define ourselves because we are redeemed people in Christ. The second example that Paul uses is the nature of slavery. Ethnic, circumcision was, was about ethnicity, culture, familiar relationships. Slavery is about social status. Let us briefly talk about the slavery in, in, in Rome. What were the slaves? What were the slave life? So it says in the Roman society, one third of Rome population, and Rome was a huge empire. One third of the Roman population were slaves. And the other third were former slaves. And the other third were born were freemen. Right? So, like, Roman society was a mixture of slavery. Slaves occupied many different positions. Unlike, you know, like the, the atrocity of slavery in America, slaves in the Roman era, they occupied different positions. Other slaves, other slaves, other slaves were, were, were white-collar workers. Some slaves were doctors. Some slaves were accountants. Some slaves were teachers. So slavery was woven into the fabric of everyday life. Slaves, even though they were interwoven in the fabric of life, they didn't, they belonged to their masters, and that's true. But unlike, but unlike the slaves in America, the slaves in Rome, they were allowed to have personal property. Slaves in America, slaves in America were were atrociously treated. Slaves, slaves in in Roman time, I, I would imagine there were some atrocity, like some mistreatment of slaves. But the, the, but the, the, record, the record lacks evidence of how slaves were treated. But so perhaps. But so perhaps so, there were many, right. so many different ways that slaves were treated back in the day, back in Roman time. And slaves, and unlike, slaves unlike slaves in the US, the US, slaves in Roman time, they could buy their freedom. This is how it works. Right? So this is how it works, right? So, if you're a slave, you're allowed to have a part, like a second, second job. So, let's say after, so let's say after you, you serve your master, you have a second job and you earn money from that second job because you're allowed personal property. And, and after you make some money, you take the money and you go to a temple, you deposit that money in the temple. Right? Like in, in an escrow or something. And then you work, then you work again and, and you go to the temple and you accumulate funds for yourself. You, 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 you give money to the temple and once you gather enough money, you bring your master to the temple and the temple priest gives the same escrow money to the master. That way, the slave can buy his freedom. So this was, so this was a situation during the time when, like when Paul was writing this letter. People, There were many, many people in the Corinthian church that were slaves. What, what does Paul say to the slaves? Verse, verse 21. Were you a slave, you a slave when, when you were called? Don't let it, don't let it trouble you. Although, although if you gain your freedom, do so. First thing that Paul says is, were you a slave and God saved you? Don't let it trouble you. Don't let your lower, let your lower social status trouble you. For us, slavery, For us, slavery is like the worst. Right? It's, the worst right? it's the worst thing in American history, right? But what, but what Paul is saying is, are you a slave? Don't let it trouble you. If you can gain your freedom, do so. But if you read the rest of verse 22, 23, 24, Paul is saying, Paul is saying the, fact slave, the fact that you are a slave, that's not the most important thing. That's contrary, that's contrary to what we believe. we believe. We believe slavery, if you're a slave, gaining your freedom is the most important thing. Paul, Paul, Paul doesn't say that. Yes, he says, if you, can, yes, he says if, you can, if you can get your freedom, do so. But verse 22, but verse 22 23, 24 says, Stay where, you are. Stay where you are. Be a believer. Be a believer. A As a slave. To us is shame. Sh- because social status, slavery is the most horrible thing. And getting out of it is the most important thing. Paul is saying that's not the most important. What is most important, is, most important is your relationship with Christ. Verse 22. Verse 22. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freeman. Similarly, Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. He's saying slaves. slaves. Do not define yourself as a slave. Even though society will call you a slave, even though society will mistreat you, even even if society calls you a second-class citizen, that's that's not really who you are anymore. Because Jesus Christ shed his blood for you and purchased you, you are a son of God. And as a son of God, you are free. Maybe the 70 years that you live in this world, people will look down on you. But what does that matter? Your eternal identity is in the fact that you are free in Jesus Christ and he is yours. And you. And you will reign with him. What men, what think, men of think, think of you in the free window, window of this world? That doesn't, that's not who you really are. You're free. Social status should not define who we are. If we let social status define who we are, if we misunderstand the gospel, do not, do not let your social status trouble you. Those for those of us who are, I don't know, preparing to be doctors, for example, do, do not let your hearts be troubled if you don't become a doctor. Do not, Do not let your hearts be troubled when your business doesn't, isn't a success. Do not, Do not let your heart be troubled when you don't get that promotion. Do not let your heart be troubled when you don't get that job from Amazon. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Because you are more than your social status. You belong to God and He redeemed you. And as the one who redeemed you, stay where you are. Live as a believer. Worship Him every day. That is is all that He's asking me to do. That is all He's asking you to do. Whatever job, whatever family that you are, where you are, worship Him. Do right. He asked you to do no other thing besides that. In the COVID era, there's a reason why God has allowed you to be cooped up in your homes. Worship God in your homes. Do right by your family. One thing that I noticed, they say, like, COVID is leading to more divorce and marital strife and stuff. And I can kind of see why. Because we're, we're seeing each other every day. And, like, we, there's a temptation to be critical every day. And I realize that's a temptation. Don't be critical. Love your spouse. Fight your laziness. Worship God. That's His will for you.